Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Are you hot enough, kid? Because temperatures in many places nationwide are soaring into the 90s and hundreds. And one person is afraid that parched seniors may skimp on air conditioning. Our fear is that people will not be turning their air on as, as high as needed or, you know, hopefully they're drinking enough liquids and people are checking on them if they have some confusion. Confusion such as wearing a sweatshirt in the heat? Becky Salazar will talk more about that and we'll check the nation's weather and hot spots that cover about two-thirds of the country now. Then we have a report of kids smoking in the parking lot. Or, or maybe they're not kids. And was this person 15, maybe 25, or over 65? I'd say definitely over 65. Uh, We were forced to disguise the informant's voice for his own safety. And we'll review a film about a miserable boss. And this film makes the bosses portrayed in office space in 9 to 5 look like Mr. Rogers. Then we'll look at one reason why some people don't believe in science and some do how a cup of espresso might help to prevent Alzheimer's, and how a so-called super-ager, someone who lives past 80, might owe his or her long life to nimbleness. The news is next. Boomer News from OK Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. A new survey among 705 individuals in the United States suggests that education does not influence general acceptance of science. Now, many researchers believe that education is the key to accepting science. However, this is somewhat but not completely surprising, explains two researchers at the University of Maribor in Slovenia. The researchers argue that education may only play a role in determining trust within specific areas of science. General trust in science is a different matter. It's only linked to education on a correlational level. That means you go to school, we assume that you uh, trust science. When other factors are considered, the association disappears, explains researchers Nezhek Flo and Bojan Mozil. The findings suggest that merely presenting people with scientific facts isn't enough to convince them to trust in the educational scientific process, as those studying risk in science communication have been pointing out for decades now. Meanwhile, survey results show stronger predictors of trust in science are based on political conservatism, religiousness, and the tendency to believe in conspiracy theories or not. They also show openness to a person changing their viewpoint as a powerful attitude that may result in the acceptance of science. Now, this openness is considered an aspect of intellectual humility, defined as, quote, a non-threatening awareness, unquote, of fallibility. In recent years, the concept has been tied to trust in COVID-19 vaccines. In one study, for instance, researchers found that those who show less intellectual humility are more likely to have anti-vaccine attitudes. Meanwhile, those who show more intellectual humility generally plan to get vaccinated. Well, while it's not clear exactly how Alzheimer's starts or develops, a lot of a protein called called tau, T-A-O, in the brain is a suspected cause of the disease. However, this protein, the protein tau, is okay in normal amounts. And now let's talk about coffee and Alzheimer's. 
Researchers at the University of Verona in Italy looked at the effects of coffee compounds on tau protein clumps, following previous research that linked coffee and caffeine with protection against cognitive decline. The researchers found that the more espresso coffee mixed with samples of tau, the protein clumps got shorter and less likely to form larger groups, hence uh, a, a less of a chance of getting Alzheimer's. The University of Verona researchers wrote that we have presented a large body of evidence that espresso coffee, a widely consumed beverage, is a source of natural compounds showing beneficial properties in ameliorating tau-related pathologies. And speaking of minds, there are some special folks among us whose sharp minds defy their advanced years. Their brains somehow resist the slow march of time. Superagers are a rare breed of elders aged 80 or older whose memory rivals those 20 or 30 years younger. A Spanish study, one of the longest and largest of its kind, has pinpointed a few more traits that may explain how these so-called superagers retain their wit and memory. The results suggest superagers' nimble minds might have something to do with their agile bodies. Superagers were generally more active in midlife, satisfied in their elder years with their sleep, had better mental health, and showed greater independence in their day-to-day -day living, likely enabled by their ability to move, balance, and remember things. Superagers were also faster at standing up out of a chair in a timed up-and-go test and had better, finer motor skills, yet there was no discernible difference in the overall activity levels reported by superagers and typical older people. So, the superagers report similar activity levels to typical older people. It's possible they do more physically demanding activities like gardening or stair climbing. That's according to neuroscientist Brian Strange of the Polytechnic University of Madrid. So, the advice here is uh, keep active and uh, brush yourself a little bit. Do something that's a a little bit difficult. And genetics too likely plays a role as the machine learning model used in this study to differentiate superagers from peers could only do so correctly 66% of the time based on 89 demographic lifestyle and clinical factors. Further research involving superagers could in time reveal ways to help older people age well and preserve memory function though there is a likely overlap with factors associated with dementia prevention, such as physical activity and low blood pressure. Now, the study's been published in the Lancet Health Longevity. Now let's talk about heat waves and what's happening to this country right now, and we'll look at the weather nationwide. Weather. Yes, we've got lots of weather but not the thunderstorm type or the rain type, but the heat. Heat over, I would estimate, something like 80% of the country. A good part of the country is in the 90 degree range and in about the geographic center of the country, the temperatures are ranging up to 100 degrees. Areas of the country that are 70 degrees or below are in the extreme north near Canada and the uh, west coast all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. Now, of course, one of the big concerns is older people not uh, turning on their air conditioning or turning it high. I mean, the um, thermostat high, which means the air conditioner won't run as much. I have a former girlfriend in the Houston area who is afraid about her air conditioning. She told me that uh, she's gonna get the technicians in and they might uh, replace the air conditioning unit. 
but she is about my age, and uh, heat does not go along with her. Now, there's one other person who is very concerned about senior citizens in heat. It's Becky Salazar of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging. I think mostly about the heat that we've been having and some of the uh, programs that assisted with purchasing air conditioners or uh, fans. Uh, currently, I do not know of any program that's having you know refurbished air conditioners we can give out or fans. And then the uh, low energy income assistance program, they did not have summer funds this year. So that's hurt a lot of people who kind of rely on those to pay their extra cooling costs in the summer. So, you know, our fear is that people will not be turning their air on as, as high as needed or, you know, hopefully they're drinking enough liquids and people are checking on them if they have some confusion. But, um, yeah, it's been a very big issue this summer. And I keep track of the weather and uh, either late this week or early next week, we're looking for 100 degree temperatures during the day. And the humidity is always high here in southern Illinois. Uh, and I've heard of people elsewhere who have gotten so sick, some of them have died from it, from heat exhaustion. Yes, it's uh, very dangerous, uh, especially if they're not drinking water or remembering to uh, just take some safety uh, tips. You know, uh, a lot of the times they say, well, don't don't leave the house if in the hot part of the day. Do everything in the morning if you go outside. But sometimes it's if you have a friend's house or someplace you could go, the senior center during the day to go somewhere cool, um, sometimes that can be beneficial. Speaking of senior centers, over at the Marion Senior Center, um, Club 60, uh, Jill Graskowitz, who's in charge, told me that um, some of the members had not been coming in and she was concerned about them. So the next time they came in, she asked, and they said it was because they didn't buy a ticket. And she concluded that they didn't buy a ticket for lunch because they couldn't afford it. Yes, um, well, the price of food and everything has really thrown off seniors' budgets. And so uh, when they go out for, for a meal somewhere, uh, you know, this, the senior centers try to make, uh, uh, make it affordable, like a suggested donation a lot of times is what's needed. And if they cannot pay, some senior centers, uh, you know, will still provide the food. At, but the problem is, is the senior centers are only provided so much funding. And I know that they've had a dramatic increase in the number of persons eating at the centers. And so they've had to rely on other funding sources other than their regular uh, Older American Act funding. So they're, uh, you know, more reliant on like local city and county funds that have senior tax referendums. And some of those tax referendums aren't in place or they're not being followed. And so some of the local income's not been there for them or not not at, not at the rate that uh, probably needs to be. So uh, we've been encouraging senior centers to reach out to their local governments because um, at this rate, uh, you know, keeping up with the cost of all the meals is, 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 you know, looking pretty bleak for the future as more people go into aging and uh, food prices remain high. Now, Christy Bussler over at the West Franklin uh, Senior Center told me that what she is seeing is that the proportion of seniors increasing coming into her center 
is directly opposite to the proportion of money coming in, meaning more seniors, less money. Have you noticed this? Well, I do know that uh, the Older American Act funds have increased over the last few years because of COVID and everything, although we're, we're fearful with COVID now kind of ending if we'll still be able to get the level of funding that's increased. But even with those increases, it's not been near enough to handle the increase in persons needing meals. So what Christy's saying would be true if her local funding has gone down and um, the Older American funds has just kind of gone up slightly. Um, I know in their county a few years ago they were serving 15,000 people by this time and now uh, you know in 2023 they're serving 53,000 people by this time. That's a huge increase so even if you get small bits of funding increases it's nowhere near uh, enough to cover that type of increase. 53,000 people. What's the size of West Frankfurt in, in, in the surrounding area as far as population? Oh, I'm not sure on the specifics, but that covers about a nine-month period of meals for that number. But, um, I mean, I, I would think that by the end of the year, they're going to be, you know, closer to 100,000 meals for uh, Franklin County. What we have here is not enough money coming in f for people to cool themselves, the people who actually need this, and not enough money coming in to serve food to people who need to eat. Senior citizens, what is the solution? Well, I, I think there's going to have to be more attention paid locally uh, and continued support by state and federal government to help fund these nutrition programs only because uh, there is a need for food. And I mean, that's one thing seniors shouldn't have to go without is, is good nutrition um, as it affects all aspects of their life and functioning. Um, so I think that would be the first step and you know there's got to be other ways besides taxation I know people aren't fond of that but there uh, there seems to be some way that we could come up with um, programs that could help build funds in these areas. Becky Salazar director of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging located in the one-third of Illinois north of where the Mississippi and Ohio rivers come together and that third is heavily forested and you have foothills some say uh, those are the foothills of the Ozarks and now ladies and gentlemen we come to our investigative report into drug use at the witnesses request we disguised his uh, uh, or her or hers voice what happened was it during the night or during the day of what when when you smelled the pot smoke uh i i assume you're referring to during the day when we were working yes and and you you uh smelled some pot smoke in the parking lot yes it's uh it's a very distinct smell. I mean, you can't, you really can't miss it. You know, once you're familiar with the smell or you're around it, you know, it's, it's unlike anything else. I mean, it's it's a plant that just has its own smell. It's got its own unique smell. Well, I've never smelled it before in my life. <clears throat> anyway, uh, what did you assume based on this distinctive odor? You know, as a younger generation, we it was considered a drug, and you know, everybody it was more of a uh, you know something to stay away from. But as you got 
older you learn that it was more of a medical purpose whether or not you know people still abuse it or not you know it's people still do but based on smelling it out there what did you think was happening really hard to say i mean you definitely knew that it was in the car and somebody was definitely doing it and was this person 15 maybe 25 or over 65 I'd say definitely over 65. Because the parking lot was in an area where you had baby boomers park, right? Yes. Did you see anybody smoking pot? No. Have you known of anybody coming in to this facility uh, with, say, gummies? No. Have you seen anybody who you thought might be uh, intoxicated by marijuana? No. Okay, so all you have is some evidence based on the odor that somebody was smoking pot in a car. Yes, just the distinct smell. Uh, do you think it was more than one car or several cars? I would say more than one car, but you know, once you once you smell it from one car, it can linger, so it's kind of hard to say, you know, or pinpoint. You know, if you had ten cars and you had one one car that had it in it, you might mistake five of the cars that have marijuana in it. But looking at it from another angle, there might be five cars with marijuana in it too. Yes, there could be. Okay, so basically what you what you're saying is that you smelled the odor of pot and you assumed that uh, somebody in a car was smoking. Yes, I would assume. Okay, Boomer. Let's go to 1933. In this film, Warren William plays a high-powered, ambitious executive who unflinchingly steamrolled his way to the top without regard for the havoc he left in his wake. As the manager of a Macy-like department store, he constantly browbeats his flunkies into submission and drives at least one to suicide. Warren William is not well known because he died in the 1940s, but uh, he was known at the time as being a hard-driving personality on screen. I've dealt with this store for years, and you were a bunch of gentlemen till you got that maniac Anderson. He wants me to stand the loss. Anderson, Anderson, who is this guy Anderson anyway? I thought you were the owner of this store. But I worked for you for 12 years, Mr. Monroe. I don't deserve to be thrown out for one little mistake. Mr. Anderson has charge of that. I helped your father build this business through the advertising columns of my newspaper. I was his friend. I've been your friend. And now you suddenly decide to withdraw your advertising from my pages. Why? Why? I know, I know. I'm terribly sorry. But Mr. Anderson thinks... I, I hope I get away pretty soon, gentlemen. The transatlantic flyers are arriving. I've got to get down the bay to meet the ship. The uh, <clears throat> mayor's depending on me. Oh, gentlemen, this is Mr. Anderson, our general manager. How do you do? We've been talking about you. Business has run along very nicely. And we would like to give you the privilege to continue with us. But it uh, has been mentioned, however, that your methods have been a little... Uh, well, shall we say, overzealous at times. Uh, 
It might be well for uh, Mr. Ross to supervise your decisions. An excellent suggestion. Otherwise, I congratulate you on having made good with us, and I invite you to continue in your present position. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm glad you're satisfied with the business we're doing here. All we need are bigger and better welcoming parties on board that yacht, and business will go right through the roof. The day that Lindbergh arrived, there were 20 people in the store. And when the Prince of Wales and the King of Siam and the President of Cuba came, gentlemen, we simply touched bottom. There's only one answer to it. Either move this store out onto that yacht, or move the yacht into the store. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the business of this store, Ross, in case you don't get me. When I first went to work here, I was a kid, 20 years old, in the shipping department. One of a thousand. I've been through many departments since then. I've seen thousands of employees come and go. And I've come to one conclusion. There's no room for sympathy or softness. My code is smash or be smashed. I took this store when it was a pile of junk without leadership. I converted it into assets. Assets for you gentlemen to pat one another on the back about. Do you think you did it? <laughs> no, I did it. I don't own any yachts. I'm not on the mayor's welcoming committee. I did it because I know how. This store has got to go on climbing, and I'm here to see that it does. As for Commodore Monroe, you're the greatest welcomer this city has ever had, and the worst department store executive. Anderson! How dare you! There's only one man that can keep this store at top speed. Me! You know it. You want me to keep it going, don't you? You invite me to continue, don't you? You bet your necks I'm going to continue. But I'm going to be in supreme command and be responsible for what I do. I'll take a new contract at double my present salary and supervision from nobody. Oh, preposterous. I'll give you that one chance to keep me here. Or I sign a contract with Gormley, your biggest competitor, tomorrow morning. I wish somewhere in commercial radio I could have gotten away with a speech like that. Eh, but I didn't. Tried. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid, you don't approve, do you? And it's because the management uh, techniques have changed considerably since 1933. That was a 1933 film called Employee's Entrance, starring Warren William, who played a genuine, a genuine son of a... Okay, Boomer. All right, I'll watch my language. Hey, let's take a look at straws and how they work in space, just in case you need one in space. Okay, Boomer. We're going to get up. And walk to the coffee machine. Yes, the walk is helpful, and people recommend that boomers walk for exercise. So I'm taking my 10-second walk, and oh, here we are at the coffee machine. We're going to start it up. We're going to talk about drinking straws. You know, a drinking straw won't work in space, because here on Earth, when you suck on a straw, uh, let's try that now. are removing the air to create a vacuum. That's because of atmospheric pressure it weighs down on the liquid and causes anything inside the straw to rise to your lips. Now in space there's almost no atmospheric pressure. This means after you suck all the air out of the straw, like that coffee machine is doing, there is no force pushing down on the liquid so it will not rise into your mouth through the straw to quench your thirst. And oh yes, the atmospheric pressure here in Carbondale, Illinois is 30.03 inches of mercury. So there's plenty of force to suck up the liquid. 
Hey everybody, it's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot, right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads, where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou, with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. I It is hot. Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery, weird animals, and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The The Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. TechTime also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, TechTime is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's TechTime.it. TechTime. A cup of Joe with Robert. And a cup of tea with Carrie. This comes from a friend of mine who went to school, the same school I went, and the same school her father went to by the name of Debbie Janik. She's in the broadcasting industry, and she sent this to me via Facebook. This is about a teacher in her classroom, and she talked about the first half of a well-known proverb, and her class was a bunch of first graders. So we have several of these little proverbs. I'll be the teacher, and Carrie will be the first grader. Not difficult. Don't change horses. Until they stop running. Strike while the... Bug is close. It's always darkest before... Daylight saving time. Never underestimate the power of... Termites. You can lead a horse to water, but... How? Don't bite the hand that... Looks dirty. No news is... Impossible. A miss as good as a... Mister. You can't teach an old dog new... Math. If you lie down with dogs, you'll... Stink in the morning. Love all, trust... Me. The pen is mightier than the... Pigs. An idle mind is... The best way to relax. Uh, where there's smoke, there's... Pollution. Happy the bride who... Gets all the presents. A penny saved is... Not much. Two company, threes... The musketeers. <laughs> Don't put off till tomorrow what... You put on to go to bed. Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and... You have to blow your nose. There are none so blind as... Stevie Wonder. Children should be seen and not... Spanked or grounded. At, if at first you don't succeed... Get new batteries. You get out of something only what you... See in the picture on the box. Uh, when the blind lead the blind... Get out of the way. A bird in the hand... Is going to poop on you. Oh, on that happy note, this is Robert Rickman. And this is Kerry Boylan.
seems like these kids are more clever than the adults. Up next, the off-ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. What did the Catholic Church invent in the ninth century that Russian communists were forced to use for more than 70 years? And if Americans could only eat one food for the rest of their lives, what would it be? Answers to those and other trivia questions coming up today with Bob and Marsha Smith on the off-ramp. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, here we are again, Marcia. We are. Here we are in our 12th week of trivia shows, Marcia. Yes, and it only seems like 13, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not for people listening. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, so... uh, There's a lot of things that go through your mind during this time. I've got medical questions today. I also have a religious question today I'd like to start off the show with. Yeah, I heard that on the teaser. Okay. Uh, You're going back to the 19th century. No, the 9th century, Marcia. This goes back several years. So what did... (laughs) That's before my time. What did the Catholic Church invent in the 9th century that Russian communists were forced to use and are still using it? Russians are. (laughs) Good Lord. What do you think it is? What did they invent that's been used for the last 1,150 years? Guilt? No. (laughs) (laughs) And that was invented a long, long time ago. Oh, before the ninth century. No, I have no idea. Okay, they invented the alphabet that's been used for the last 1,150 years in Russia, Eastern Europe, and Central Asia. That's the Cyrillic alphabet, that strange-looking typeface. Actually, uh, two brothers who were Christian missionaries did that. You've seen that in Russian words, Russian posters, and uh, other Eastern European countries use that. The brothers were Cyril. That's where the first name comes from, Cyrillic, right? Oh, really? Cyril and Methodius. And they were from <laughs> Thessaloniki, Greece's second largest city. They were young boys when their father, who was a, he was a Greek government official, died, and they went to live with a high-ranking official of the Byzantine Empire. He made sure they had an excellent education. They studied uh, Greek and Arabic and Hebrew. They became monks, and they became diplomats for the empire. And eventually, in 862 AD, the Byzantine emperor at the request of the Duke of Moravia, sent them to Christianize the Duke's lands. And when they got there, they found there was really no tradition of a written alphabet. So they invented this, representing the sounds of the Slavic tribes, and it became incorporated into the Catholic Church over the years. And today, it's the official alphabet for the national languages of Russia, Ukraine, Bulgaria, and Serbia. So I think the irony here is communism, the ideology that tried to stamp out religion for almost a century, had to use an alphabet invented by the church. Huh. <laughs> it went through changes over the years. They actually started a university or a, where they taught it. They taught literacy. And this alphabet was something, as again, they based it on the Slavic sounds. Who knew? Not me, Bob. Not and the, me. apparently the communists didn't try to change that when they were changing <laughs> everything else when they took over Russia. They but. were busy with other That's things. That's right. Slaughters, whatever. They had things to do. Okay, from that, on to the uh, absolutely useless information that I like to ask questions about. <laughs> if Americans, Bob, could only eat one food for the rest of their lives, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. this study, 
There's always somebody doing a study. Shows what food would it be? <laughs> Hot dogs. That's not even on the top four. Here. Hamburgers. That's on the list. That's uh, that's tie for number two. Apples. <laughs> you give us more credit than we're worth. Okay. What has all all the major food groups thrown on top of it? Pizza. Yay! Oh, you're kidding. That's <laughs> no. what people would choose. This is what Americans well, sure. would choose well, if they could. Well, think about it. You get also you get your protein, you get your vegetables, or you could have your fruit, your That's pineapple true. and That's barbecue. A, you know, get your fruit. Pizza is pretty darn. <laughs> and uh, second place is steak, mm. and followed by hamburger, tacos, and pasta. Well, that's not too bad. I mean, once you get past the pizza. Out of all those, I think pizza's probably the healthiest because it's got more variety on it. Don't tell a lot of vegetarians that. (laughs) Well, you don't have to have meat on it. Okay, speaking of food, I'll talk about a drink here. A question on a drink. What brand name fruit drink was originally developed as a substitute for wine used in church services. Oh, there's no substitute for wine. <laughs> That's your thinking. Was it grape juice? Yeah, what what kind? Welch's? Welch's grape juice. Yeah, it was developed in 1869 by a New Jersey dentist, Thomas Bramwell Welch, and it was a temperance substitute for wine used in church communion 1869. services. 1869, wow. I, I so, had no I mean, idea. People went to great extremes. Well, we're not going to drink any alcohol, so we're yeah. not going to drink it in and church, yeah. right? Well, anyway, he picked 40 pounds of Concord grapes from his backyard. He pasteurized the juice in his wife's kitchen. He bottled it and began selling unfermented wine to nearby churches, and it became a huge grower's uh, exchange. I think Welch's is still owned by the farmers. But originally, it was a substitute for communion wine. Hmm. Don't want to get drunk in church, because look how much <laughs> wine you drink in church. What kind of services were they having where people were getting drunk on communion wine? Oh, that's uh, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> well, uh, sticking with consumables. Okay. What's the oldest known vegetable in the world, Bob? The oldest known vegetable? Yeah, yeah that we know that has been around for... What, is this the it, first it, one God started growing, or what are we talking about? We're not going into theology here, oh, Bob. Oh, this, oh, is, <laughs> this is... Uh, archaeologists have found this from 8,000 years ago. People were eating this. Uh, corn? I would have guessed that. Yeah. But no. What is it? Peas. 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 They found peas in Stone Age settlements. They were grown and eaten, obviously. That so. makes sense that they could be left behind. They could be in petrified. Urns or, yeah, or they could be in jars or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, they don't just grow in the wild, do they? But anyway, Stone Age settlements had peas, so just hmm. so you know that. You didn't find any kale in those settlements. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a... Oh, I, I spoke about Russians a moment ago. I found a... I've got an interesting question. How did Karl Marx feel about the Russians? <laughs> you know, they were the first real big country to adopt his uh, ideology of yeah. communism. Yeah. How did Karl Marx feel about the Russians? Did he like them? Well, I suspect he probably didn't like them at all, judging your asking the question, so what's the correct answer? Yes, the father of the Marxist philosophy distrusted Russians. He wrote to his partner when he was writing the Communist Manifesto, Friedrich Engels, he said, I do not trust any Russian. As soon as a Russian worms his way in, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's here's a history question, Bob. Why did John Hancock 
sign his name so large on the on the Declaration of Independence. Well, he was the first to sign, so he signed very big. And I don't know if <laughs> he signed. Embarrassing, huh? <laughs> I don't know if he signed very big because he thought, well, they're all going to sign their name big. I want to sign mine big. I thought it was an <laughs> ego thing, but what is it? Why did he sign it so large? Yeah, he's going to start an insurance company, or <laughs> I got to have some advertising for this insurance company of mine. Uh, no. It's because the poor-sighted English king, George III, could read it without his spectacles. Oh, he wanted to make sure George could read it. So they must have known George had a a vision problem. Yeah. How interesting. Isn't that funny? That is so funny. I mean, you know, everybody, why the heck was uh, Hancock's name so big? Uh, But that's embarrassing. When you're the first of anything, you, you, you know, stand the risk of being embarrassed. By doing something nobody else does, and you recall that. Don't I you, did that, yes. <laughs> yes, one of our class reunions, they had a, I think everybody was invited to write a little remembrance of their life or what they've done, and I wrote this. And I, when I saw it published, everybody else's were like a sentence. Mine was like paragraphs. And you and you and my sister both said, look at me, look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you were very embarrassed, and rightly so. Okay. okay. All right, you spoke of the English. I have a question about the English. Yes, okay? sir. When anesthesia was first used to diminish the pains of childbirth for English women, churchmen protested. The Bible said women should suffer in pain when oh, bearing children. God, that is so... Such a misogynistic thing. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> yes. Okay, so how were those protests silenced when anesthesia was first used? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Somebody had to do something that would, you know, kind of be an example. Who would that be? Who would that? What year was that? It was the 19th century. Oh, I don't know. Did What did they do? You like this person. You admire this person based on a TV series we watched. English TV series. Oh, Vera. <laughs> no, that's the detective. Oh, okay. This is historic. All right, I'll tell you. Okay. Queen Victoria. Oh, really? She chose anesthesia when she gave birth to her seventh child. Jeez. So she allowed herself to be chloroformed, and all the criticism stopped. Oh, Because, you know, back then there was yeah. such respect for royalty. Yeah. British men were saying, well, women should not be have any anesthesia no, when they have me. childbirth. They should have pain. And then Good. Queen Victoria. Okay, well, okay. I guess it's I'll all right. Just shut the hell up now. So none of the churchmen had the nerve to criticize well, the queen. Bravo, Vicky. Isn't that <laughs> Vicky? Isn't that isn't that amazing? That men would say, "Well, the women should suffer in pain. That's just part of it. That's what they have to do." <laughs> Good God! If only we could give them the thrill of birth, but we can't. So. <laughs> okay. You've often told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Honest, when, when I saw you go through our first child, I remember thinking, I've never seen a man work this hard. Oh, my God. That's Herculean strength and tolerance. It was amazing watching childbirth. Especially since our first child was almost 10 pounds. That was, that was a special thrill. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. I got one. Okay. You know, half of this, I believe, because we actually saw this in uh, Mexico. In ancient Peru, Aztecs played a primitive form of basketball, shooting a rubber-like ball through a stone ring hung high on a wall. That's right. Yes. Remember seeing that, we saw at, that at Chichen, Chichen Itza? Chichen Itza. Yeah. Maya. Uh, probably remember what the loser got. Loser was killed. That's right. The losing team was just massacred. Yeah. I remember that, too. But what did the winners get? I heard the winners were killed sometimes, too. Uh, no. 
It, actually, this is just talking about two people, a winner and a loser. Okay. It says the loser was put to death rather quickly. But <laughs> this is so stupid. The winner was awarded the clothes of all the spectators present. <laughs> <laughs> and you get this brand new wardrobe. Here's a toga from George in row three. Good <laughs> Lord, that's so strange. I'm sure they didn't wear togas, but that was still, oh I my mean, God. You, you die and you get all the clothes. Uh, and then what, the, the, the audience goes home naked? I guess. <laughs> that's a strange, strange custom. All right, I have a, uh, uh, this is a medical question. What fruit's liquid can be substituted for blood plasma during an emergency? A fruit's liquid can be substituted for blood plasma, or at least it has been, during an emergency. Wow. I, I had no idea about this. this. Wow. comes from Isaac Asimov's Book of Facts. He wrote these. He did so much research when he was writing all his books. He wrote 200 books. Yes, unlike us. <laughs> so, so when he did, he, he, started, he just kept all these facts he found, uh, and this is one of them. This is a fruit juice. A fr- what, a juice of... what fruit's liquid can yeah. be substituted for blood I don't know. Plasma? I'll say the kiwi. Well, you're close to it. It's the liquid inside young coconuts. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's a milky kind of... Yeah, apparently this was discovered during World War II. Doctors in Fiji also discovered surgical incisions heal faster when sewn with sterilized coconut fiber instead of cat gut. So if they could take coconut fiber, and uh-huh. the, heal, the stitches would heal faster. Wow. Incisions would heal, let's put it that way. Yeah, interesting facts. It is fascinating. Okay, I've got another history fact. Okay. You've always heard the expression about Timbuktu. I, I had to go all the way to Timbuktu to get this. Or okay, yeah. I'll send you to Timbuktu. Yeah, Jokes yeah. in songs. Where was Timbuktu and was it noted for anything? <laughs> I know. Is it, it was, is it in the Middle East? I thought it was in India. I thought or that's where Asia, it was. But no. Asia? It was actually in uh, Africa. No. Yeah. In the Middle Ages and the late 1400s, Timbuktu was the most progressive city in an African kingdom that was in many ways more well advanced than Western Europe. It was located in Sanhay, S-O-N-H-A-Y, which was an African kingdom larger than Western Europe. And Timbuktu's university was famous throughout Africa and Europe. What, What year was that? In the Middle Ages, in the late 1400s, its medical center near the Niger River attracted sick people from all over the world. No, so see, Timbuktu is—it's not like geez. oh, this is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. This, this is the place yeah. to go for Isn't knowledge. Isn't that something? It, yeah, it's God. It's like the Mayo Clinic of the of the Middle 14. Ages. Yeah, wow. It was Timbuktu? Here's a, a fun fact. Okay. The manager of a movie theater in Seoul, Korea. He was going to show The Sound of Music and thought it was too long. What did he edit out of the uh, movie? He thought The Sound of Music was too long? Yeah. Did he edit all the songs out? Yes, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the story about this musical family. It's Uh, called The Worst Editing of a Movie Ever. God. (laughs) A story of a musical family with no music. (laughs) Uh, You can figure it out. Oh, my God. What an atrocious thing to do. I'm just trying to picture that movie, you know, how it would cut from scene to scene without a song. Well, especially that last part where they're doing the show and they're leaving the stage and the Germans don't realize they're they're leaving. How can you cut that scene out? (laughs) And all of a sudden, they were gone. (laughs) We're not going to tell you how cleverly they left the stage. They get them on the stage and then they cut to them marching over the hills 
quietly. <laughs> and then they must have had Julie up there in that field running around without just, any music. Yeah, so. yeah just, uh, well. Okay. There are very few popular fruits, Bob, that can be classified as American in origin. Can you name the top three? Are these originated in America, yeah. or were yeah. they they developed through crossbreeding or something like that? Uh, there are just three. Okay, I'm just thinking like nectarines or something are, like that, which is a combination of two cl- different fruits. Well, in origin. Well, the first one, uh, we actually saw these. Harvested. Uh, harvested. Right uh, here. So, in, okay, so those are, I call them craisins, but they're, uh, <laughs> well, you know, they look like raisins. But they're not, and I can't think of the real Cranberries. Name. Cranberries, yes. Cranberries, yes. And that, That's a huge crop in Wisconsin. And Massachusetts. And Massachusetts, We're the two yeah. big uh, producers of cranberries, and we saw them being in a big bog. It was really interesting. So the first one is cranberries. The second one is blueberries, and the third one is Concord grapes. No kidding. So those are all, all three originated in... in uh, in America. The, their origins are here, yeah. Because now there were grapes for thousands of years in Europe, but not yeah. Concord grapes. Right. Well, I don't know. What did they use? Oh. Didn't they make wine out of grapes, Marsh? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know there, there were grapes need, everywhere. You go ahead and look into that, okay? <laughs> I've, got a, uh, I've got a question, a modern question, on electricity. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. They were trying to introduce electricity to Constantinople. Who? Modern people. Ah, But the Sultan of Turkey was told it would be necessary to install dynamos. What did he think they were saying? Dynamite? That's right. (laughs) And he knew what dynamite was. So he vetoed the project, and Turkey had to wait for several additional years before electricity, just because the ruler didn't understand the word. Oh, that's interesting. You know, things still happen like that. That's true. (laughs) Here's something. Who was the first person ever to report Seeing a mermaid off the American coast. <laughs> Why would I know the answer to that? Because it's a famous person. Okay, Tom Hanks. Because <laughs> that was the movie that I remember. It was. But no, he entered it in his diary. He sighted the mermaid oh, in be? the waters near Mohegan Island off the coast of Maine in 1614. Who would... 1614? Yeah. who would have been... That's before the pilgrims, that's... So this would have been a explorer. Hmm? I don't know. Who yeah. was that? Captain John Smith, your uncle. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Captain John Smith. Yeah, from Virginia. Virginia colonist. He saw a mermaid. Okay, well, what are you going to say about that? <laughs> I think you're going to say he saw a mermaid. How interesting. <laughs> All right. I recently saw an article on one of my favorite websites, Mental Floss, and it was 26 fascinating facts about the human body. I'm not going to ask you about all of them, but I have a couple. Okay? All right. There is a place in your body that has 2,300 species of bacteria. Oh, swell. Where is that? Your tongue? No. I think it would be something like that. Is it inside your body? No. Okay, so it's outside. Okay, I'll tell you what it is. Thanks. It's your belly button. (laughs) It has. Okay, how many again? 2,300 species of bacteria. In 2011, a group of scientists started the Belly Button Biodiversity Project. (laughs) There actually was a project. It wasn't called the Navel. It was called the Belly Button Biodiversity Project. And they counted the bacteria. Well, they wanted to find out what's going on inside of those little caves of mystery we call belly buttons, you know. 
Lots of time on their hands. Turns out quite a lot, yeah. Uh, They sampled 60 people, revealing 2,300 total species of bacteria. Like I said, it's not exposed. Most of us don't have it that exposed. In ease and outies and all that. But, well, you know, it captures lint. And so then... yeah. Then the uh, everything feeds off of that. Well, this is this is disturbing. I would call it. <laughs> All right. I, I feel more knowledgeable already. Here's another one. Do you know you have a bone that's not connected to any other bone in your body? You have a bone. Isn't it my turn, Bob? No, there's, this is a bone question. I got to pick let, a bone with you, Marcia, and this is it. Pick a bone. Okay, I'll pick. Let me pick a bone. What is this called? What's the bone called? The hammer in your ear. Oh, that's that's yeah, that's a good one. But that those are all connected up there. Are they? Yeah. Okay. This is the hyoid, H Y O I D. Ah, oh, second choice. It sits between the jaw and the voice box, and it's used to keep all the lower mouth muscles in place. And it also helps with swallowing and talking. So it's a bone, but it's not connected by a joint to any other bones. Where where is it located? In your throat. Huh. Thought you'd find that interesting. Oh, sure. Okay, how about your question? Okay, well, I start out with a fascinating information and I'll end it with a question. A crocodile can stay underwater for more than 24 hours without surfacing for fresh air. Really? Yes. Crocodiles have 66 teeth. Some members of the species can go through how many sets of teeth? In their general 80-year lifetime. Oh, really? They okay. Have, they so have like, like, we go through two, generally. Yeah, baby teeth our, and then... And they have about our lifespan. Okay, well, now they have to use their teeth much more. You know, when you and, think about crocodiles, don't they don't they don't really have arms. You know, they have these little well, things. Well, they that, got those little... Yeah, but almost everything they do is... arms. <laughs> almost everything they do is with their jaws. Yeah, yeah. It's and they have Again, they have 66 teeth. Okay, I'll say they go through four sets of teeth in their lifetime. That's uh, that's twice what we have in, in yeah. the same time. But no, the answer is 40 sets of teeth. 40 sets of... 40 <laughs> cycles of yeah, teeth in a crocodile? Yeah, full set. 66 teeth, they... They lose and grow back. I, it, boy, if you'd like to be on the down cycle when if one ever grabs you, right? Um, <laughs> I hope you're in your 40th set of teeth. Cause, <laughs> gumming you to death. But oh, my God. 40 sets of teeth. I had no idea. 40 sets of teeth. That is fascinating. Thank so you. they lose a tooth. It's not a big deal. There's another one <laughs> it's coming. It's coming along shortly. Where are more than half of the bones in your body? I found this kind of interesting. Where are more than half the bones in your body? God, all the medical people out there from our many, many listeners would know this, but <sighs> former writers. They're not in your brain, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and they're not in your ear, huh? Mm-mm. More than half the bones hands. of your body, where are they? Uh, I'll say hands. They're in your hands and feet. Ah. Yeah, there are about 27 bones in each of your hands, in each of your hands. Uh-huh. And there are about 26 bones in each of your feet. So I got it right. Yeah. All right. Isn't that amazing? One more bone than your feet. See, I knew that. Did you know that babies have fewer bones in their bodies than adults? Why and well, how did they get how, more? Yeah. That's, <laughs> right? There's a there's yeah. a question for yeah, you. Yeah, how did they? So babies have fewer bones in their bodies than adults. Why and how do they get more as they age? Well. You don't have transplants. No. Uh, they just grow more Bones, the more calcium, uh, I have no idea. You're right. It's along those lines. You're on the right track. As they grow, the calcium increases and new bones form? Well, it's primarily feet. Feet mostly contain cartilage at birth. Then bones form over time from the cartilage. They don't fully harden until they're in their early 20s, all your bones. But that's how babies actually grow bones in their feet because of the cartilage. 
they can't walk right away. Babies can't walk because they can't stand upright. And so our forth. kids could. Our kids came right out and started walking. I don't remember that. Okay. It's the way I remembered, Bob. Oh. Okay. Well, that's interesting. What's your next question? Emily Dickinson. Okay. That little. So we're getting into art. That poet. That little Dickinson <laughs> had uh, authored more than nine hundred poems. Holy cow! How many were actually published in during her, her lifetime? In her lifetime, maybe yeah. one, two, mm-hmm. a book. Keep going. Three. One more. Four? <laughs> yeah. Four. She published four poems in her lifetime, yeah. and she actually wrote 900. Yeah, so that's a that's kick in the head. That's somebody who's afraid to, to... Get a rejection. Yeah, notice. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another question. It's kind of fun. I'm on the body. I got a lot of body questions Yeah, here. yeah. I'm, I'm big on food today. How did goosebumps help early human beings defend themselves? How did goosebumps help early human beings defend themselves? Defend themselves. Yeah, in fact, that's they think that's the only thing they're good for. Really? What do certain animals not like to bite you if you got bumps on your skin? Well, it's kind of odd. I'll tell you the answer. Or to eat you, rather. You know, you're, you associate your goosebumps with adrenaline being released by your or body. Or cold. Yeah, when you're cold. cold or you're upset or yeah. something like that. So what? Well, scientists believe that goosebumps used to be important when people had more hair on their bodies. We're talking like cave people here. Yeah. It's believed goosebumps would elevate the hair and make a person look bigger when they were in danger. And scarier. Yeah, and scarier. Uh-huh. But now they're a pretty useless feature. Again, who figures this stuff out? And as you would say... Who cares? <laughs> well, Bob Smith cares. All right. What subject are we switching to now? Birds. Birds. Hummingbirds. Okay. And, you know, there's a lot of interesting facts about hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. But what do hummingbirds have an amazing memory for? Hummingbirds have an amazing memory for Their something. brain is, is twice as big as a human's. Uh, wow. Compared to size, relatively speaking. Okay. They have uh, pretty good intellectual skills. So is it a memory of uh, breeding grounds or a memory of where they are or uh, roots that they have to fly? What is it? Yeah, that's what I would have said. But studies have shown that a hummingbird can remember every flower they ever visited. Oh, my God. Even on their migration route. Oh, they're in, there's in Lexington, there's a... There's a <laughs> Really? Daisy, I've so, visited before. So they, they must have a GPS of where the, the where each one is. Even recognize human beings and know which ones can be counted on to fill their feeder. <laughs> uh oh. So their brain is four point two percent of their body weight, and um, human beings are two percent. Two percent of our body is our brain. Yeah, and theirs is four point two percent. So they have a really good memory. Now, just think next time we're looking out the window at the hummingbirds, they're looking at us and saying, "Fill the feeder, <laughs> fill the feeder." Well, especially when they're tapping on the window so aggressively. Yeah. Pushy little birds. <laughs> Just for fun, how many flaps of those little wings do they have per second? Oh, no, that's a good question. Because it's a blur. It's a blur when we look at it. Yes. So um, let's see. Okay, give me a second here. I'm trying to get a second in. Let's say 200 times. But no, 80. It's 80. 80 times a second. Yeah. So 60 times 80 is 4,800 a minute. Wow. Per minute, their wings flap 4,800 times? Yeah, if that it's... is amazing. And there we go. That's it for this week. I'm okay. Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Hope that you've learned something. I've learned something. Pizza. 
Let's go have some pizza. Pizza. Uh, yeah, there you go. I, but will that keep us alive for long is my question. It's not what I want to eat. It's, will it, it's, it's got it good all the major you? food groups if you oh, do it, right? Okay, I all guess right? so. All right, okay. pizza it is. All right. Off you go, Bob. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. And next time, Bob and Marsha will feature The, the Immortal. produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin. I went to school with this guy. He was always interrupting me. As I was saying, next time, Bob and Marsha will feature The Immortal Buddy Holly on The Off-Ramp. And that wraps up OK Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. <laughs>